Blog Talk Radio. This is Susan Wingate. I am your host today for Dialogue Between the Lines. I am my usual host, my co-host, is Joshua Graham, but Joshua is going to be in the hot seat today, and we're going to get started with him immediately because he is waiting in the queue, and I am just so excited to have you on the show today, Joshua. How are you? Hi, Susan. I'm doing just great, and this seat is really hot, so if you don't mind for a second, I'm just going to stand up and cool my butt. <laughs> but it's fun to be here this way. I mean, we, we, this is just like, you know, whenever we chat and all that, And um, but we'll have a little bit more focus today, so I'm really glad, um, and thank you for inviting me to be a guest on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. I'm so excited about all of the things that are going on with you. Um, I want to get into some usual um uh, questions, of course, that we normally ask our um, esteemed guests like you. And But I want to also say, just before we get started, that Joshua Graham's latest book is called Terminus. It's fabulous. It's a, it's a thriller, and it's just one of the best books I've ha- had a chance to read of, of Joshua's. I think they're getting better and better and better. Every time I read one of your new books, I'm just amazed. So thank you for writing this new book, Terminus. You can find all of Joshua's books, however, on Joshua-Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M dot com. And you can find Joshua Graham also on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. And so, um, but you can get most of his news on his uh, on his website at Joshua-Graham dot com. Um, and uh, I think I said that right, right? Joshua-Graham.com. Um, I might have put a dot in there. but um, And also, Joshua blogs regularly, so you can find and follow his blog there as well. So, Joshua, you've been writing for years now, and I would like to go back to the beginning. You were initially a cellist. You lived in New York City, and your creativity uh, exemplified itself through music and through the arts, but you became a writer after that. Can you t- walk us through that whole time in your life? Wow, that's um, it's a very interesting path that I took, and uh, well, it, part of it I think was a path that I beat out for myself, and part of it was. Um, I just feel that, you know, divine providence and kind of redirecting me while, while not knocking me off the path uh, like a Damascus Road type of experience, but more, um, you know, kind of nudging me towards another road that was not too far from the road of music. Um, but the origins of the of the writing didn't actually begin after I finished my, uh, or after I left my career as a musician. It actually started way back when I was a kid, and I, I wouldn't have, definitely wouldn't call it um, you know, writing seriously back then. But I always loved writing stories. Uh, you know, back when we were children uh, in school, we grade school, we had spelling words every week. Probably, you know, when we were younger, 10 spelling words a week and then 20 spelling words that you'd get tested on every week. Uh, and 
by the time I was uh, getting about 10 to 20 words a week, one of our weekly assignments, which was the highlight of the week for most of us, was to take the spelling words and write a, a story with those words. And so I just right. loved writing these stories. And every time the teacher would ask for volunteers, I'd always be the first person to raise my hand or jumping out of my seat going, ooh, ooh, pick me, yeah. pick me. Um, yeah. So that it got to the point where the teacher would purposely have to ignore me so other people would get a chance. <laughs> now, that's not to say that these stories were any good or anything like that. They were just, you know, I just wanted to write them. I just wanted to share them. Um, but I became known for the person who would be the storyteller in the school. And uh, by the time I was in sixth grade, the teacher decided to have... Uh, our our school play be uh, based on the Odyssey by Homer, and oh, wow. uh, it was a completely student-run uh, production with the guidance of the teacher because it was sixth grade. It was our graduation uh, project, so of course when it came time to for a script, you know who wants to write the script? The, the teacher asked. And, without missing a beat, the entire class turned around. And I didn't finish hearing the question yet, and they were all pointing at me. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, that's fine, I'll do it. So I wrote the script with some guidance and um, uh, actually knew somebody who had really great period costumes, so I asked this lady if she wouldn't mind lending us the costume. So this production turned out to be great. I even got to get a small role, and I was dis- disappointed that I didn't get to, I didn't get the the star the title role, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I was just a minion or something like that. But but I I did get to write the script, and I did get to provide the costumes through this friend of my parents, and it was a great production. Anyway, so all throughout my life, I enjoyed creating stories, writing scripts. I did some movie scripts, uh, like video scripts for things in my church youth group, and. and um, that were pretty humorous. And so how this relates, well, this was all done just out of fun, but but music became my passion from uh, about junior high on. And uh, through the music, I I, I went to Juilliard, and then I got a doctorate uh, at Johns Hopkins in music. And I was really privileged to have played in several professional orchestras and toured throughout um, Egypt, Jordan, South Africa, Canada, all throughout the United States. And it was fun because I I got to travel uh, with an orchestra, got to play as a cello soloist, and and it was just really a wonderful experience. Eventually I started teaching. I started off as an assistant for my teacher at Juilliard, so I taught some of her pre-college students, and, you know, very proud to say that my one student (laughs) that I taught at Juilliard pre-college actually made it into Juilliard. Her her wow. father was like an executive at Hyundai, um, and so you know they they spent money to pay for private lessons three times a week with me, and she really worked hard. And when I first met her, I thought you know I don't know if she's going to have much of a chance, but if she works really hard, well lo and behold she gave this wonderful uh, senior recital and made it into the Ju- the Juilliard school, and uh, that was like the one teaching experience I was really proud of. But I did also later on as a doctoral candidate um, teach on college faculties down in the western panhandle of, uh, of uh, on the east coast, which is like the, um, I believe, Maryland, Virginia, uh, near D.C., anyway, in a few different colleges. Okay, I would need to cut this journey short a little bit, but lo and behold, oh, no, after all this work, um, I, I, after all the teaching work and the performing work, I got married and realized that, you know, I need to be able to support my family. So 
the one step in this path that we haven't mentioned is that um, a couple of years after I got married, the uh, world of IT, information technology, opened up to me. Uh, it started with me wanting to build a computer during my doctoral days so I could um, play a certain video game on a computer because I only had a Macintosh back in there then, and this game was only available on PCs. So my friend of mine who was in the IT field gave me some parts and said, here, you can make your own computer. So I, I tried it, and my first experience building it had, um, had a central processing unit plugged in. And as soon as I put in the power, I heard crack, sizzle, pop, and smoke coming up. So I called him up and he said, uh, that's not a good sign. But from that point on, I learned that one mistake not to do is not to put in the CPU in the wrong you know, direction. Um, but that led to me opening my own computer store in Brooklyn, New York for about a year where I'd build computers and sell them and repair them. And that brought in some income while I was still practicing the cello, sending out applications for college professorships. Because um, I had lived in Maryland for, for about four years, got married and moved back to New York and was looking for work. And I did private teaching, but it didn't really turn into anything and not certainly not enough to be able to settle down and have a family, um, you know, n nothing regular. But yeah. this friend, same friend of mine who gave me computer parts and taught me how to build computers was working at the Stern Business School in New York University. And he told me about a position that had opened up. And when he told me about it, he said that I should go and interview for that place. And I said, I said sure, but I've got my own business. I really love being my own boss. But then when we yeah. looked at the salary, the benefits, the regular paycheck, I thought, I've got to give this a try. Well, I took the interview, got the job, and when I went there, it was just loads of fun. And for the first time in my life, I was getting um, salary, health benefits, retirement benefits, and really good yeah. stuff. Plus, being at New York University, I could take any class I wanted for free at, at a really good school. So I started taking classes in IT and that type of thing, computers, and that really helped me. Well, shortly after that, about a year after I started that job, I moved out to California. And out here, I continued to work in the IT field. And that went on for another nine years. And the music kind of fell to the wayside when my son was born because I just there was no way to do so many different things like full-time work and music, which I was still practicing and giving concerts, and then to raise a, 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 my first child with my wife. And I was just so in love of, with having a, a child, and uh, and I just devoted so much time. And naturally, the time went to um, being a dad, and something had to go. So I guess the music kind of went to the wayside. Uh, the full-time work was there. The, the fatherhood was there. Uh, the music kind of went away for a little while, but not completely because I still play it every now and then at church. And then somewhere throughout the nine years of IT, uh, writing came back because I missed doing things creative. And the the way it came about was through none other than my geeky love for Star Trek. <laughs> and what happened was that there was a movie that uh, that I believe it was called uh, oh it was the last Next Generation Star Trek movie. Um, and now I can't even remember the name of it. Nemesis, Star Trek Nemesis, that's right. And I was very dissatisfied with the ending. And this this was during the time in the early 2000s when there were a lot of online um, communities where people, you know, fan clubs for Star Trek that people are on the Internet talking about stuff. And I was just chatting with a few friends on this little message board saying, you know, I didn't like the ending. 
you know, if, if it were me, if I had written Danny, I would have done this, this, and that. And then suddenly, a couple of friends of mine uh, said, well, you know, you really should write for for um, Star Trek and all that. You know, they have a lot of Star Trek books, and, and I was like, me, write? You know, but then they told me that there's this contest called Strange New Worlds. And um, now I wrote under a different pen name, which I'll leave anonymous for now. But um, they, if you enter your short stories in and they like them, then the contest you know, it, it will pick about 20 winners and your short stories in the Star Trek world, you know, our realm, universe, they call it, um, will be picked and published. So the first year I sent in about six stories and they all came back with very nice rejection letters encouraging me to try again. And the editor is Dean Wesley Smith. And he was really interactive online, and I would email him questions about writing because I'd never done this anywhere near professionally. And he spent so much time just writing me back and giving me advice and all that, and I just really appreciated his encouragement. Okay, so the next contest came around. It was an annual contest. And he put out on his message board, anybody who submits um, 10 or more stories will all automatically get special consideration. And the reason for that is that if you – if somebody submits 10 stories, it shows that they're really dedicated to writing. And I think he right. knew that the more you write, the better you get, and that you, you're, you're probably serious about writing. And so I thought, wow, that's, that's a good thing. Well, why don't I try this? Why don't I – and I made it a goal. I didn't tell too many people, but I said, I'm going to send him 20 stories. And that, I made that my personal goal. And what happened was that – at first, I thought, what have I done? You know, but then I thought, you yeah. know, it's not too bad. They're short stories, so they don't take too long to write. And uh, I got into this creative groove where I was writing about two stories a week. And so, um, no, sorry, not two stories a week. Two, maybe completing two stories per month. That's what I meant to say. And yeah. in the process, yeah. I finally, the total I sent in was 23 stories. And that was the first year I got in, and what happened was that he accepted one of my stories and took several of them to be on the alternate list, meaning that they, these alternates could easily have been published, but he chose that particular one. But the other ones, if you send them in the next year, they'll, they'll definitely be seriously considered. So after that, you know, I, I got my first publication in Pocket Books with Simon Schuster in, in the Star Trek anthology. Um, I started to go to workshops. I started to... Um, also held by Dean Wesley Smith, and that was when I learned that I really wanted to do this as my profession. But I still had a day job, and there was no way I was going to walk away from a steady paycheck, no way I was going to walk away from the benefits. I had a family to, to, to feed and care for and to um, support. So no one in their right mind would morally just walk away from a day job just because they want to do something they love to do. Uh, but I still kept writing. I, I, I tried to write my first novel, and I, that came out, and it's very embarrassing. We'll probably never see the light of day. But um, then I wrote a second novel and started submitting them to publishers. And I was very um, determined that one day, you know, I'll get my I'll get a book published. But I just didn't know how that was going to happen, and so I just kept writing. And I, I thought how great it would be to be a full-time writer. But Right. And I have this day job, and you can't just quit a day job unless you have some kind of, you know, uh, income to replace it with. Well, soon the choice was made for me because in 2008, um, my company was going through massive layoffs, and my entire department got outsourced to India, and I found myself without a job. So during that time, as I was looking for new jobs, as I was, um, you know, applying and interviewing for other things, I 
I took the time to write and continue writing and submitting. And this is also around a time where um, the the ebooks revolution kind of really began with the Amazon Kindle and the Barnes and Noble Nook. And one of my books that seemed to have been rejected by several publishers became a, um, a bestseller actually because of the Kindle platform, and that's the book Beyond Justice. And that started happening, you know, it started to grow, and I eventually found myself able to make a pretty good income from that. And to make a long story short, um, <laughs> if it's probably too late for that, but um, I really believe it's through God's grace and divine intervention that I was able to then uh, transition from being unemployed to uh, becoming a full-time writer, able to you know support my family and make an income through the income generated through my books. And um, so that's supposedly in a nutshell. It sounds like a really long story, but really it covers you know a couple of decades right there. This it this was, was a kind walnut of the, size. Walnut size. This is like a, <laughs> a coconut size <laughs> story. No, but yeah, that, that was basically the path. Well, you know what's so great is that um, I didn't know, you know, it, we've been friends for quite some time, and I didn't know about the play, and I certainly didn't know several other points that you talked about. So it was incredibly interesting for me to listen to the path, you know, and everything. Um, so I'm sure it was extremely interesting to listen for the the listeners to, to hear as well. But um and I wanted to point out also on your on your landing page for your website at Joshua hyphen Graham dot com is is the um the you know the terminus information and uh, I just if you don't mind I'd like to read what James Rollins, the New York Times Times bestseller of the Blood Gospel had to say. He says Joshua Graham's Terminus is a fantastic read in every definition of that word. If Tom Clancy had written a novel of fallen angels and creatures that go bump in the night, this would be it. Blisteringly paced, high-tension suspense, characters you bleed with. I can't wait to read more. That is an awesome review. And then below it, you have the book trailer. So um, that you know would be very interesting for people to... Um, to watch and get an idea of what the story is about. Um, and I want to also read what um, uh, international bestseller MJ Rose had to say. She says it's highly recommended, powerful and, and fascinating, will keep you riveted while you're reading, and then you think and keep you thinking long after you've turned the last page. So that is right there. That's the, the key to a good story is that it will stay with you for, for quite some time, which is wonderful. Um, so, you know, you're the winner of the International Book Awards for Beyond Justice, um, and and that was also a number one best-selling uh, book on Amazon.com. And but, can you tell us a little bit about Terminus and where the idea came from, and um, and and how it just evolved into the beautiful piece that it is today? Well, Terminus, and thank you for for um, you know stating all that stuff. I really am humbled by. I still can't believe that you know such reputable authors had such great things to say. I mean, it's not you know it, that the, what really amazes me is their generosity in taking the time to read my book and, and endorsing it like that. So I'm so thankful to them and grateful yeah. to, uh, to to all that I've been um, blessed with. Um, but. 
Terminus really evolved over a few years. I first came up with the concept in a master class that you and I attended where we had to write several pitches, book pitches per night. And there was this one book that I thought, well, what would be a, you know, interesting paranormal supernatural fantasy plot that, you know, and, and I thought about the, uh, what would it be like if, you know, there was an angel who, wanted, who you know, it was a disillusioned angel who was about to fall and, you know, become one of the dark angels and because he was just so fed up with his life as uh, working, you know, what he was doing. And he's sent to, to basically destroy a few people, and one of them being a woman, but the woman that he's sent to destroy happens to be somebody he falls in love with. What would happen if? That was my you know, my yeah. pitch. And, and I always like that, but um, I just kind of left it in the back burner until a few years ago I was reading a book by Max Lucado called Fearless. It's a wonderful book. Yeah. The chapters are quick, easy reads, but they're very inspirational. And basically that book is about what would life be like if you lived without fear. And then each chapter is if you lived without fear of, say, um, natural disasters, fear of financial collapse, fear of death. And right. there's this one chapter that talks about facing that last day, facing death without fear. What would it be like? And it was so inspiring because it was touching. And at the same time, it made me realize, wow, if you, if you don't have to fear death, if you have a hope beyond this life, um, and if, you, if you've lived this life with purpose, and you can face those final moments without fear, what an amazing life you will live now, and what hope you have for the future after this life. And it, 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 suddenly all these themes started racing through my head, and I thought, this needs to be in a book. And I thought, oh, right, there's this book that I pitched you know several years ago at that master class it will fit perfectly with this so everything came together in that and um basically terminus uh does talk about issues of uh of like an ultimate hope facing depression and even suicide but it also talks about purpose and destiny and but one of the central themes are the fact that things are not always as they seem um, a lot right. of times when, when we see a certain situation we think it might be good we actually fall for tricks in life, you know, maybe sent by the devil or maybe just from our own self-deception, that there's always another dimension uh, and another perspective. And sometimes if you could have the perspective of an eternal perspective, if you could see the future or if you could really see the past for what it is or even the present, right. you might make other choices. And this is a story of people making choices one-dimensionally and seeing that there are other choices in you know in a more three-dimensional view of time and and space and choices and all that and ultimately it is about you know seeing beyond our our perceptible realm of of existence well it is such a great story and and it goes through several twists which are fun and in what you said is things aren't always as they seem it goes to a biblical concept of um what seems to be a blessing is in reality a curse and what seems to be a curse in reality is a blessing and it goes back and forth and so i think you you've done that you've used that scripture brilliantly so um it, it's a, a lot of fun is, um, from the book of proverbs and it says um there's a way that seems right to a man but in the end leads to death and I always yeah. use that whenever I get really self-assured and think I'm, I, I'm right and everybody else is wrong. And I always remind myself, it may seem right to me, but in the end it could end badly. So be humble, you know, Joshua, yeah. and uh, and realize 
you could be wrong, especially when you think you're particularly right. Isn't it funny how we do things like that to ourselves? But um, And so we're ultimately interested in what's coming out next by Joshua Graham. Can uh, you give us a little idea before we close? We've well, got about know, six more minutes. Okay. Um, I'm always working on the next book, and sometimes I start a book and then another project comes up, and then I have to try to finish them both at the same time. Uh, so I don't know which one actually will hit the shelves next, but I can give you some clues that um, uh, the two books that are kind of in the running to uh, come out next are outgrowths of my last book, which Simon & Schuster, uh, Dark Room. One of them is a spin-off of Dark Room, which takes one of the um, takes one of the minor characters of all. Uh, his name is John Morgenstern, and he is the uh, uh, attorney that defends our protagonist, Sandra Carrick. Uh, he has a small role, at the, but a very significant role at the end, even though it's small. But we're going to see more of him because he's a very interesting character in my estimation. Uh, but he's going to have his own you know, legal thriller type of uh, book come out. And, uh, and the other one is the actual sequel to Dark Room, which I've been working on. And I'm really excited about this because it's going to – uh, take what Sandra Carrick has been doing in da- Darkroom to another level, uh, another level up in terms of like global stakes and that type of stuff. So it's going to be. Uh, I'm going to have. I'm really excited about writing it because of the things that are going to be involved in it. So those are the two main things uh, at, at the forefront of um, of my writing desk right now. Oh, that's so exciting! I'd love to hear about um, the the uh, spinoff of Darkroom. That was a great read as well, and. Um, extremely successful and i'm so happy that you um are writing it's so much fun to read your work and um i've handed your work off to several people my sister for one um she uh is also a christian um but you know she loves to read everything she reads across the board but she just raved about dark room and beyond justice so she was just uh Thank she you. loved your work. Anyway, I know that you probably didn't need to hear that, but she's one of your fans too. Isn't that something? Oh, that's so sweet. That's that's just yeah. really nice. And, you know, what I'd like to say is that even though my, my books uh, have some Christian themes in them, they wouldn't really be categorized as Christian novels. You wouldn't find them right. like in the Christian fiction section, um, not because there's anything offensive to Christians in them, but mainly because that's not the main push of it. There's, there are themes in it, um, but, you know, just based on the feedback from, like, so many different readers, uh, people who have no particular faith at all still enjoy reading it, and they don't find the the, the, the little sprinkles of spiritual aspects uh, in in the book uh, a problem at all. I mean, Dean Koontz does it, right. Stephen King does it, John Grisham does it. Um, I Everybody might have a little bit more. Yeah. So you know, it's it's it, it shouldn't scare anybody off who you know is afraid of like reading Christian uh, fiction. It, it's different enough. No, definitely. Yeah. Definitely so. not, and I wanted to um, clarify that and what you said. It, they are categorized as thrillers, um, and and the themes of Christian fiction are pushing basically the concepts of Jesus Christ as our Savior and following that path, whereas your stories are just weave in some uh, God issues um, and, like you said, the, the uh, point of... Um, what always what looks good might not be good, and what looks bad might not be bad. So um, that scripture, and so yes, it's a it's beautifully well done and woven in as a as a theme. But these are definitely um, slotted as thrillers in the 
in the bookstore along with Stephen King, along with John Grisham, along with James Rollins. So very, very exciting work, but it's fun. As as a Christian, I can say myself, it's really fun to read this. And I wanted to, just really quick, because we've only got a couple of minutes, um, that one of your readers said, I sobbed at the end of Beyond Justice. I wanted to make wake my babies up and hug them and kiss them and hug them some more. Tearing up now as I type is a very moving book and makes me appreciate my family and my life even more. That was about Beyond Justice. What a sweet oh, thing for a fan. That was really nice. Anyway, we're obviously at the end of the show, and Joshua, you are not only a great co-host, but you're a great guest, and I really appreciate you being on the show as my guest today. This has been just really a treat for me. Thank you, Susan, and I really appreciate the time you took to interview me and give me a a chance to just blab on like that. (laughs) It's been great. I really appreciate your time. So um, without further ado, we're going to say goodbye, and... um, And that woman keeps talking to us, and so we'll say adieu for today, and we'll be back next week with Terry Persun. Thank you, Joshua Graham, and we'll say goodbye and so long. Mm -hmm.